In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Please be seated. I am a sinner in need of a Savior. I'm sick with sin. Stubbing my toe means more to me than somebody dying across town. A pain in my body is more concerning to me than thousands who are dying around the world. My concern over feeding my own family and over the comforts of my own life are more important to me than thousands of refugees crossing a border. I'm selfish. I'm sick with sin and sick with it every day. And it's only a physician like our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that can save me from that sickness that the Lord shows us in the commandments. He says, love God and love our neighbor as ourself, which means that we put God and our neighbor first. And I think if I'm honest, I say I've done that very seldom and very, very little. The Lord says that he's going to separate himself from us. And this uh, beautiful reading by Hosea, he says, I'm going to return again to my place. This is a kind of a figure of speech, isn't it? We have this picture of the Lord saying, well, I'm out of here, right? And walking away to go to another place. Does the Lord have another place to go? No, the Lord is everywhere. But he's saying that he is not going to be part and parcel to our sin. He's saying that we separate ourselves from him uh, in our sin. And that he is going to heal us. He shows us that sin uh, in the prophet Hosea in a really remarkable way. He tells Hosea to marry a woman named Gomer who is unfaithful to Hosea in a very profound way. She continually goes away from him and Hosea's brokenheartedness of her infidelity is a symbol of the Lord's pain and suffering when we are unfaithful to him, when we choose selfishness over righteousness. And he says uh, through the prophet Hosea that his way of healing this, his way of bringing us back is to uh, restore us. And he's going to restore us through our hope, our desire uh, in him and the desire that we find in him and his restoration in the resurrection. Hosea here, 750 years before the time of Christ, about the time of Amos preaching and teaching in that northern kingdom of Israel accurately prophecies about the resurrection and the myrrh-bearing women. He says uh, in Hosea chapter 5, verse 2, after two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up. This is Hosea telling us about the resurrection of the Lord, and this is the method by which he is going to bring us out of death into righteousness. And he describes for us the myrrh-bearing women. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is as sure as the dawn. As they seek the Lord at the dawn, as they look for Him, as they wait for Him, as they go and search for Him, this is the, 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 the quality that we're supposed to have, the identity that we're supposed to cling to, um, this searching and yearning, this hungering for the Lord and for His restoring us to eternal life. He says He's going to restore us to a steadfast love. Not a love that is uh, going back and forth, but one that stands firm and is steadfast. Not in sacrifices, but in the knowledge of God. And it's the knowledge of God that we seek uh, here today. It's the knowledge of God and the coming to know Him that we seek when we read the Scriptures every morning, when we seek the Lord in our prayers. And this is the answer that He gives in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He is bringing us knowledge of the Father and a profound way. 
Here in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9, we see Jesus uh, around the, um, the shoreline of Galilee. He is in that northern city of Capernaum, and he has just healed the paralytic, and he is walking through the villages there, and he calls Matthew the tax collector. Uh, this is the Lord going and calling a sinner who is remarkable in much the same way that Gomer is remarkable. He has made promises, and he has proved himself a traitor. Matthew is the worst kind of a sinner. Matthew is a Jew who has allied himself with the Romans to defraud his fellow men, to defraud his fellow Jew. The Romans are an occupying force. They're the enemies who have uh, destroyed and defiled uh, the worship of the Jews. And uh, they have imposed taxes that are a remarkable hardship. And in their imposition of those taxes, they have contracted with private tax collecting contractors to go and to collect the taxes and whatever they can collect extra along the way to pay their own bills. Could you imagine if we had to go to tax collectors who were private contractors who were going to pad our taxes for their own benefit? And who were doing that for an occupying military force? And we had a, a friend, a, a colleague, a family member who took a job as one of these contractors to defraud our neighbors? This would be somebody that we would not invite into our homes. This is somebody that we would change sides of the street when we saw them. And yet Jesus goes to Matthew and not only speaks to him, but he says, follow me and sits and eats. It's no wonder that the religious authorities say, do you know who it is that you're speaking to? Do you know who it is that you're having dinner with? And the Lord reminds them, I am a physician. I didn't come for the healthy. This is a two-edged sword. The first edge is that Jesus is seeking the lost. He's seeking the broken. He's seeking those who need to be healed. We don't expect him to be uh, sitting with the righteous. We expect him to be going after the lost as that shepherd who goes after the lost sheep. The other side of the sword is if we're going to be found by him, we have to admit that we're sinners in need of a physician. We have to admit that we're sick. If we sit here today and we justify our sin, if we condone it in one another, if we excuse it and say, oh, it's not so bad, you're not so bad, you're a good person, you're trying your best, then we don't identify our need for a savior, for the physician to heal us of this profound sin. And so Jesus, in his calling of the last disciple, Matthew, the writer of our gospel, identifies in a profound way that he even comes for the traitor. He even comes for the one who defrauds his friends. Because he comes for the sinner and he desires mercy. And as we've talked about forgiveness, those who hunger for mercy and show it in our own lives are the ones who are going to receive it. Otherwise, how can we ask for it? If we're not participating in mercy, if we're not offering it, how can we ask for it? We don't even know what we're asking for. 
And this desire for mercy, this desire to be right with God, this desire to be um, with him and to be unified with him is what St. Paul describes as uh, the, the righteousness of faith. The righteousness of faith. And he, he juxtaposes it with the law. The law, as he's described in Romans, is written upon our hearts. He starts out Romans by talking about the natural law that everybody knows. He says, nobody has an excuse. We all know right from wrong. We all know uh, good from evil because it's written on our hearts. We're created and we can turn and we can look at the natural order of the world and we can perceive right from wrong. He says, then some are held to a higher standard. Those who have been given the law of Moses are held to an even higher standard and they have been instructed in the ways of the law. And he says it's about the keeping of the law in righteousness through faith rather than just in, in following the law to keep from being in trouble uh, that the Lord has written upon our hearts. He says that we're supposed to desire to live right. And so he talks about circumcision as an example of this. And he says it's not about being circumcised. It's about the faithfulness that Abraham showed. And circumcision is the seal of that faithfulness. We could say the same thing about the sinner's prayer. We could say the same thing about baptism. Baptism is a seal and a sign of our desire to live with God, to live with him in righteousness. An example of this, as I've given before, is uh, the rules of the road. If you ask me, how can I um, get my family home safe? Um, how can I avoid being uh, you know, um, endangering other people on the road? Am I just going to give you the Nevada Revised Statutes and say, uh, you know, just follow these? This is what we do with people. It's ridiculous, right? They're reckless drivers, foolhardy, and we give them the Nevada Revised Statutes or a driver's manual. Is it the driver's manual and the law is going to cure somebody of being foolhardy and reckless? It's ridiculous. It's not a lack of knowing whether you're supposed to signal or turn or slow down or who has the right of way. It's a change of heart that has to happen. It's a desire to keep others safe. It's a desire to preserve the lives of those around us. It's a desire to serve those and to serve our family and to get home safe ourselves. That no law can teach. And this is the relationship that St. Paul would bring about between the law and the faith of righteousness that we see exhibited in Father Abraham. Abraham, long before circumcision, long before Moses, long before the law and the covenant on Sinai, hears the word of God and he does it. Jesus in chapter 8 of St. John's Gospel says, the children of Abraham do as Abraham has done. The children of Abraham do as as Abraham has done. He has promised that he will change our hearts, that he will revive us, that he will heal us, that he will show us love and mercy and he will change our hearts, that he will bring about in us a hunger and a thirst to do what's right. So that we too, like the myrrh-bearing women, can wake up early in the morning seeking him who has risen again and bring us into everlasting life. May we hunger for the risen Lord like those myrrh-bearing women and wake up early and seek him every day of our lives. Amen. Amen.